0: It's good to see all of you here on the family day long weekend. Uh, we're in the middle of our series of meals, Meals with Jesus. This is a series that has actually got me pretty excited. I've been in conversations, so junior high conversations, the last two weeks, so I haven't really been hearing the messages, but there, there's still something about meals that gets me pretty excited and people that gets be pretty excited. Last week I was teaching conversations. I got out of conversations and I was being invited by a bunch of people for lunch. And I was like, this is just fantastic. I'm probably just such a great person that everybody wants me over for lunch. And then I listened to the message and I was like, wow, no, these people are, are just taking this seriously. And junior highs, if you're the ones leaving, just wait one uh, The Junior high conversations, teacher messaged me this morning, and they said that they were sick all night, so we are doing a family day, long weekend family service. So there isn't actually junior high conversations, I'm sorry, I know, we're all really disappointed. Um, so you guys are going to sit in with the service, and you're going to have to hear me speak again. I know, you're probably looking forward to somebody else. Uh, so that's what's going on, unfortunately, but it's family day, so we get to hang out with each other, and that's... And that's great. So, my name's Colton. I'm the youth pastor here at Sunwest. And I don't know if you were in the service early enough to catch the announcements. We're just trying this thing out of doing announcements after the first song and then just transition into the speaking. It just works out a little bit better. But just in case you missed a couple of the announcements, I want to highlight them. But as a church, as SunWest, we exist to guide all people into a lifelong authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's multiple ways that we do that. And to conclude this series off of Meals with Jesus, we think, hey, we should probably be eating together. We should be having meals together. So on March 5th, at the end of the service, the service doesn't just stop when we're done here at the theater, but we're continuing it into the homes of people. So we're, we're having people are hosting, signing up to host families or people—not even just families—people over for lunch after the church because we're taking this this seriously. We're giving new purpose to to meal time and what that looks like. So if you are somebody who's, hey, I want to host, I love hosting, love having people in my house, I love hosting meals, if that's you, there's sign up at the the Welcome Center in the back and we just encourage you to sign up. But if you're somebody who's like, I just like free food and freeloading and not... Hosting And that's, I'm just kidding, but it's okay if you're somebody who's not comfortable with hosting, but you want to go get to maybe even meet some new people or have meals with somebody after church on March 5th, please do that. Um, Mark that in your schedules that that's, lunch is going to be a continuation of church on March 5th. But there's something else coming up that weekend, March 5th, March 4th weekend. We're bringing in a guy by the name of James Penner. James and Claire Penner, both. Um... They're a fantastic, fantastic couple. He taught a, a modular class when I was in Bible college all about youth culture. And his talks were just life-changing and transforming in my life. And James is probably one of those in Canada who has the leading research on uh, youth culture and young adult culture. And why is there this this gap between youth and Adults and where are the young adults in the church and he goes he goes through that that entire yeah he has got a great study on that, but not just the study but actually practical steps of what we can do as a church community so on March fourth, which is the Saturday um from seven to nine at the ministry center he's going to be hosting a parent course, and this isn't just a parent course for um People with youth or young adults. This is a parent course for everybody. He's going to be speaking, and that's going to kind of close off our meals with Jesus. And he's going to be talking about intergenerational meals, and what does that look like that we actually eat together as a church community and a church family? So if you're if you're a parent, we realize that that is that is a, a difficult job, uh, even to do it as a couple. That we can we can be more like we can work together as a church and a community. So if you are a parent of any age, even I had the question in the first service about grandparents, can they come absolutely? Cuz they're parents. So if that interests you, on March 4th, 7 to 9, James and Claire Penner will be hosting uh, a parent parent course and this is just open to anybody cross campuses. Uh, that this is just going to be a yeah, it 's going to be a beautiful night, and on the fifth, right after church, if you are a young adult, um, matt is actually James is going to be hosting a meal at at pastor matt 's house for all young adults for for uh, lunch with James, uh, which sounds like a, a lot of fun, so I want to encourage you mark that down that can be you as young adults. you can get out of it you don 't have to host you can just go and enjoy. Uh, Free food and time with James and Claire Penner, which I always uh, enjoy my time with those guys. But I've been enjoying this Meals with Jesus sermon series, not just because I like meals. I mean, who doesn't like meals? Who doesn't like food, right? Food's delicious. Food's awesome. Uh, But growing up, I loved mealtime because my mom was a fantastic cook, Oh, such a good cook. And I'm sure every single person here is like, oh no, my mom makes the best food. But really, one mom, like somebody has to win and I'm gonna say that's my mom because I'm up here and, I, and you guys don't have a mic and I do. So my mom is the best cook. But that wasn't the only reason why I enjoyed mealtime. Mealtime was the time, we didn't have a TV in our dining room. Crazy, crazy thought. Uh, and we weren't allowed screen time. Sure, that might be a little bit harder now because when I was younger, we didn't really have cell phones. So that wasn't really a big deal. But now with cell phones, there's so many things that can distract us. But what I really enjoyed about mealtime was that my mom, she ran like like this daycare out of her home, like this babysitting thing. So we always had people at our house all the time. So every single meal, it wasn't just that we had a delicious meal. It wasn't that we were free from distractions. It was that we had a meal with community every single day. That's what it was about. I hardly ever ate alone. And I think as I get older, I'm starting to lose that importance of meals. To me, meals has turned into something that I've got to get done before I jump onto the next thing. Um, My wife just recently started working evenings, so I'm kind of adjusting and working evenings too. But then I'm eating meals alone, by myself, and most of the time in front of a TV or something because I need something to keep me company. Uh, And I'm like losing this purpose of meals. What's meals supposed to be all about? If it was just for food, I'm doing that, but I think there's more to meals than just just food. So this sermon series has been really hitting home for me. Sure, I said I was teaching conversations the last two Sundays, so I wasn't listening to it. I actually just listened to it online, so I am listening to it. so you guys can, if you don't follow us with your uh, podcast, if you miss a sermon, you can listen to it. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, this has been really giving new purpose—not new purpose, but giving more purpose or, or reinstating purpose to meal times for me. But if we look in like what we've been going through, if we look through the Bible, meals were of great importance. That the Gospel of Luke, and this is what we've been going through, the Gospel of Luke, that it's basically an account of Jesus' life going from meal to meal to meal. The first Sunday we talked that Jesus, that the religious leaders called him a glutton and a drunkard. That guy must have loved to eat with people and to have fellowship with people. And that's what we're talking about. And today we're going to touch base on the Last Supper. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles, I think the words um, will also be on the screen, but that is in Luke 22, starting at verse 7, and we'll be going to 20. So this is at the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. This is one of his last suppers with his disciples while he was here on earth as, as man, uh, after the three and a half years, there's Bibles being passed down the sides. If you want one to follow along, it could be pretty helpful. Uh, and I think it's important to be founded in the Word. And if you don't have a Bible, and this is your first time coming, you don't have a Bible, and you put your hand up to grab one, take it home. That's yours. Uh, just a gift from us, take that Bible home. Um, yeah, I just want to jump into reading that passage. But he's eating this meal with his disciples, the people that he spent the most time with, the people that he, that he knew the most while he was with his time here on earth. So let's read it together. If you have it in your Bibles, let's, let's follow along, starting at verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare your meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So in this passage, as I was reading it, something stood out and jumped out to me. It was found in verse 15. It says that Jesus was very eager to eat this Passover meal with his disciples before the suffering Began And I thought this was a pretty interesting passage and a weird passage. Because if you read other gospel accounts, especially when Jesus is within God's people, the Israelites or the Jewish people, when he would do a miracle in front of them, he would actually tell them to be quiet. Like he'd be like, shh, don't tell anybody about this. Because he knew that the faster that the word spread about him, that the sooner his eventual death would come. And then it seems like in this passage that Jesus has a change of heart, right? That he is very eager to eat this Passover before his suffering, and he knew what that was going to end in. So I thought it was really interesting. Why did Jesus' mood change? Why is there all of a sudden this eagerness to have this this meal that's going to lead to his, his suffering and to his eventual death? And for us to have a better understanding of that, I think we have to have a understanding of what food and meals were like in the Old Testament. Food was a sign of God's provision. When people were walking in a right relationship with God, that the food would be plentiful. That they wouldn't have to go searching for food. Basically, the food searched them out. They had food. But when they were living a life away from God and not in right relationship with God, then there would be a famine. People could tell right away the way that God was interacting with them, whether they were living a good life or a bad life, if there was a feast or if there was a famine. Even the Sabbath had to do with food. And this is one that caught me off guard because I read the the Sabbath, and I'm like, the Sabbath is all about, it's all about rest. It's all about taking a time of rest, Uh, and it comes from the passages In Genesis where it says God created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested not because he needed rest but knowing that we need rest and that became part of the law to take Sabbath but what happened was you would work for full six well you'd work for six days and on the seventh day you would rely on what you made in the six days or what you were provided for so on the seventh day you weren't even allowed to prepare your meals that was supposed to be done beforehand, that you would just rest and enjoy God's provision. This started to make more sense to me when I thought about Sabbath years, not just Sabbath as a week. Six years, people would work. They would work their fields. They'd work with their animals, their crops. And on the seventh year, they would rest the fields that for a whole year, they had to trust God and what he provided for them for six years. And they had to store up what they had in those six years that on the seventh year, they didn't work the fields, but they enjoyed God's provision. So it wasn't as, it was about rest, but it was about much more than rest. It was about trusting God that he will provide for you. That not putting your faith in yourself, but you're putting it in God so that you would just remember the ways, that he has, the ways that he has served you, the ways that he has provided for your every need. But God's people and the, the Israelites had a tendency to forget God's provision. They had a tendency to forget the ways that God was, was providing. And there's a story, maybe you guys remember it uh, if you've read it, it's in Exodus. There's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus of the story of God's people the Israelites, that were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And after about 400 years, this guy named Moses comes on the scene, and Moses is unique because he is part of God's people. He is is an an Israelite, but yet he was raised in the household of the Egyptians. So he is this unique guy, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but at some point in his life, God went up to him and, and spoke to him, through a burning bush, and he said, Moses, I want you to free my people from Egypt. So he goes to Pharaoh, and I get this scene, if anybody's watched um, The Prince of Egypt, anybody, the DreamWorks cartoon, Prince of Egypt, uh, and there's a scene where he's like, let my people go, and he puts his staff down, and it's all dramatic. So I get this scene when I'm reading this story of let my people go, and he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, because he has a hard heart, says no. No. I can't get rid of all of these people. That's just going to stop all of my production. It's going to stop everything. I can't let these people go. So God, through Moses, performs these plagues. He performs 10 plagues. And at the, each, at the end of each plague, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, now will you let my people go? And Pharaoh continuously says no until the 10th plague. And the 10th plague was the worst of them all. That was the death of the firstborn son. And firstborn sons were so important. They were the ones who got the inheritance. They were the ones that carried on the family traditions, the family jobs, the career. They were, especially within Pharaoh's household, that was the future king. That was the future Pharaoh. All hope rested on that guy of the future to continue. But God gave direction to Moses and said that if anybody sacrifices a lamb, and puts the blood of the lamb on the doorframe of their house, or where they were staying, that death would pass by. And so everybody who, who put the blood on the, the doorframe, death passed by, but Pharaoh didn't do that, he didn't listen, and his son died, and at the end of it, he said, go, I don't want to see you again, get out of here. And the Israelites were freed from oppression. After 400 years, they were freed from slavery and oppression. But they had a tendency to forget these miraculous things that God was doing. So in the Old Testament and in the laws, he sets up guidelines for his people to remember the Passover, to have this this festival of unleavened bread and at the end to have this Passover meal. And this meal was to be a time where they would remember what God did for them in the past. That's what that meal was for. And that is the same time that Jesus decides to do this meal. is on the Passover. And I don't think it was by accident that he decided to do it. He did it on the Passover. It was, it was a lot of people at the time with Jesus, they thought he was starting something new. That Jesus was there to start something new. He was starting this new, this new idea. But Jesus, by having it on the Passover, was not saying, hey, I'm here to start something completely new. I'm here to continue the work of my father that he has done so many years ago. Right, he's giving new purpose to this Passover meal. He's not doing something completely different than the father. No, he is continuing what, he, what the father was doing already. The Egyptians, they were freed from slavery. And Jesus, on communion, what he was doing, these people, they were freed from slavery only to have freedom but they found freedom in the law they were bound to the law and they were still slaves to sin and jesus comes and he frees them from sin he says you're no longer bound to the law but the law you know it is written on your hearts that jesus is the fulfillment of the law that we are to do what he does he's giving he's giving this freedom by living out by example There's a, there's a time when I was in Bible college that we were taking communion. We would do chapels three times a week. We would sit there and we were listening to the speaker. And I remember the speaker, he did a really good job at talking about the death of Christ on the cross and the amount that he suffered and how that was all for our sins and that we got to spend time confessing our sins. And I grew up in a, in a, and communion was to follow that service, and I grew up in a community that, that communion was taken really seriously. That I couldn't take communion as a child until I could tell my parents exactly what it meant. And then they were, then I was able to do it. But when you took communion, you would basically just, you would spend this time remembering, and yeah, that is what it's about, and there is lots of importance in that. But you would just be quiet, remembering, confessing, giving everything over to God. But it was a serious, serious time. But at Bethany, we were taking communion again—a very serious time. Everybody's facing forward, everybody's heads down, everybody's praying. And communion starts to get passed out. But it was weird. This week, it started. Communion started from the back and worked its way forward. So as communion starts getting passed out, we, everybody starts to hear. Well, I heard this. Everybody started making this noise. It's like <clears throat> and like this, like clearing of the throat. And we're like, okay, maybe there's just, I mean, it is community living when one person gets sick. Almost everybody gets sick. So maybe that's what's going on here. But it just continued. But everybody was so serious in their communion that nobody dared to look back at what was going on. Because you're just, you're in this moment. But everybody got their turn to figure out what was going on. And the communion was working its way forward. Finally, I got this communion and I smelt something as it was coming close. But I thought maybe that's just the guy next to me. Uh, and I grabbed this cracker, and I put it in my mouth, and instantly knew what all the coughing was about. This, it tasted like paint thinner. I don't know what was in those crackers. They were, they were horrible. And what came next was the gum. Everybody took out gums, you know, like the crinkling of the gum packets. So you heard like a mixture of coughing and, and gum packets being opened. And finally, and yet we're all trying to be really serious, because it's communion. You cannot laugh. So we're all being really serious, and finally somebody comes up to the front, and he says, okay, so I noticed that the communion crackers are really bad. It's because we got them at the local co-op, at the discount bin, which were probably there for 10 years. Uh, You know when packaging has different logos than they do now, that you know that those are pretty old. Uh, Those are those crackers, but then everybody burst out laughing and smiled. And that was the first time that I thought, hey, maybe communion, yes, it is about a time of remembering, but maybe joy can be in communion as well. And it says in verse 16 that Jesus won't eat the supper again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you guys remember, but what happened right after this meal? Right in the days to follow, Jesus was falsely accused of something that he, that he didn't do and found guilty, so they mocked him, they beat him, and he eventually died because of this, because of this false accusation. He went and endured suffering, the suffering that he was eagerly looking forward to. And when he died, the temple curtain was torn in two. The temple curtain was torn in two. The temple curtain was was to separate the regular part of the temple to the holy of holies, the place that God lived, where God's presence was. That curtain was the dividing line between God's presence and his people, and they believed that our sin was so great that God can't be in the presence of sin that as soon as we'd be in the presence of God with our sin that we would just fall down and die. So then what did that mean, that the curtain was torn in two, that there is no longer any separation. In the same way that the Passover lamb and in the, in the Passover in Egypt was the blood was put on the, the doorframe that death would pass by. But sin, the wage of sin is death. That all who sinned were going towards death, but Jesus, when he died, his blood acted as the blood on the doorframe but instead of the doorframe, it's actually the blood on the doorframe of our lives. That death passes by, that we actually have this eternal life with him. Now that is something that actually, I think, starts to bring a little bit of joy and excitement. Hey, that no, death doesn't have this sting, but that there's this, that there's this freedom. I, uh, I love hosting people. Love having people at my house, but better yet, I love being hosted by other people. I love going over to people's houses uh, and visiting friends. Like, that's just something that I really enjoy doing. And during Christmas break, this last Christmas break, my wife, Angel, and I, we go out to Edmonton because that's where her family is at. My family's around Saskatoon, so we go there and we make this triangle. But we visit people everywhere that we go. And in Edmonton, we went to go visit some friends. And I love coffee. Like, anybody who's been to my house like knows that I really enjoy coffee, but they can complain sometimes because it takes like 15 minutes to make and people are impatient, but it tastes really good. But my coffee like, does not compare at all to the coffee of these people that we went to go visit. They both manage a coffee shop in Edmonton and it, it, it's just so delicious. But we went to their house right after they went to Europe and he asked me, hey, do you want a cup of coffee? And I said, absolutely I do. I would never say no to him making me coffee. And he goes... To his collection of coffee beans, which are all fresh. Like he goes through, like, probably that that many a week, and he like filters through and he finds his favorite one that he had in Europe. And he made it for me. And it was the best cup of coffee that I've ever had. So, why did he give me this coffee? It wasn't that he was obligated to, it wasn't that he had to give me this coffee, but he wanted to. He wanted to give the people that he loves something that he loves right, to share in his favorite things. Now, communion, I get the idea, is a meal with Jesus. It's a meal as salvation. That Jesus is the host of this this meal, and instead of coffee, what he is offering is the best of the best, and that is forgiveness of sins, that it is life, that is the separation of God's presence and his people, but now that his spirit lives with us, that's what he's offering us at this meal. Not because he has to, not because he has to go through this suffering, but because he wants to give the people that he loves life. That he wants to have a relationship with the people that he, that he loves so when we participate in communion, and you're wondering, oh, should I be able to participate in the communion? Well, participating in the communion, all it is is accepting the invite that Christ has already given you to this meal. The invite's already there, and, and he's offering the best. It's a, fa- it's a family meal that we eat together, that we eat together with Jesus. Now it isn't like that is something that is so worth Celebrating, He talks about the, the coming kingdom, and this is amazing news, right? He brings all these great things, but his coming kingdom is a rule of justice, peace, joy, freedom, and of life. Communion isn't something just to remember the past that Christ has done for us, though. Right? It's talking about until God's kingdom is fulfilled. He's giving direct reference to, or he's giving reference to uh, this meal that is talked about in Revelation 19 talks about this this messianic banquet, this, this wedding supper of the Lamb. right? When all that is broken is made right, when everything that is old is made new, and that when we are resurrected with Christ, that he is going to have this meal, that there is no barriers, that it is in the full presence of God that this meal is gonna happen. So when we have communion, we're not just thinking about the past and what Christ has done in the past. We're not just thinking about what Christ has done in the future and in the present and what he's doing in our lives right now. We're actually thinking about the future and the fulfillment that's gonna come. Now that is something that I, I eagerly wait and I eagerly look forward to having this supper with our Savior. And we are instruments of bringing that kingdom here, right? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? This fulfillment of this kingdom, it isn't something that we just sit back and wait to happen. We participate in that every single day. We participate in bringing God's kingdom here, right? We're, we're spreading his reign. We're spreading his presence. That, that is a movement that has already started and it's here on earth right now and that's what we're doing as God's people, right? We're actually living out the fulfillment of that supper, Right? That it's not just a supper, but that it actually calls us to action. It calls us to something. Calls us to something more. Now that is something that I am just excited in participating with with Christ. That is what it looks like in the presence, in the present. So then, what is communion? What is communion all about? What is the, this meal with Jesus all about? And I, I want to sum it up in maybe six things. I'm sure there's lots more. Uh, but it's only just starting some conversation and getting the, the ball rolling. But number one, what I think communion is, is all about, communion is a story of liberation. The Passover was a, was a meal of liberation from slavery and oppression to, to freedom in God's reign, but still bound by sin and bound by the law. Christ brings freedom and he brings new life at the Lord's Supper. This freedom from sin that we are no longer separated from God but that he lives with us and he lives in our lives and he moves within us and it's liberation from what we're, because there still is brokenness. There still is sin in the world but we look forward to the liberation when that is no longer, when that is gone completely. That is what communion is about. It's a story of liberation. It's also a promise of a new land and a new creation. When the, Israelites were freed after 400 years of slavery. They lived in Egypt, and when they were freed, they didn't have a place to go. So God promised them this land. Sure, it took them 40 years to get there, but they got to this promised land that God, yeah, God got them to this promised land, and that was what they would remember with this, this Passover too. And with communion, what happened then? There was no longer this promised land, this holy city. But when Jesus came, there wasn't this one holy spot. When the temple broke, his presence was everywhere. And when we look forward to this messianic banquet in the future, that is when what's old is made new and it is fully restored, the new heaven and new earth. Communion is a story of necessary blood. Like Passover. With the Passover lamb, for death to pass by, there is blood on the door frames of those houses. And it takes the, the sacrifice of Christ and his blood that is the paint on the door frame of our lives that brings us freedom. That's a time that, that we remember. Um, communion is also a time of remembrance it's a time to remember all that Christ has done, all that God has done. I'm always just surprised when I actually take the time to remember what, what God has, has done in my life because I can, I can forget quite easily. I can live my life, I can rely on my own strengths, I get into my own patterns of life that I actually forget what God has done, that He has given me this new life and I start to live in my own life, which is, which is way worse than the life that he has prepared for us. Right, so it's a time to remember, it's to posture our hearts to say, no, we, we are part of something much greater than ourselves. It's a time to remember this freedom and this life that Christ brings. Communion is also about anticipation. We eat it eat very eagerly like Jesus. We eat it with excitement that this isn't the end, but this, this is the continuation of God's kingdom that will be in fulfillment in the full presence of God we eat it in anticipation that we eat it with excitement that we eat it with joy of things to come and lastly communion is a family meal it's something that we do together as the family as the family of Christ in verse 17 and 19 i don't know if you guys noticed but jesus used bread and he used wine you guys are probably like, yeah, I've noticed that. I've read the story a couple of times. Give me something new. But what Jesus didn't use was like champagne or fine artisan breads, right? He used something that was common. He used something that was everyday foods for, everyday food for people, right? It was something common that people ate. So what would it look like for us if we shared communion over just common food? And I've heard the argument of, of, well, no, Jesus used bread and he used wine, so we have to use bread and wine as well. But then I want to ask you, why do we have Welch's grape juice, gluten-free crackers? And yeah, there's bread there too. Um, not to say that the, the metaphor isn't significant. Because when we take the bread, we remember this body that was broken, But when we, and when we take the, the wine or the, the grape juice, we remember the blood that was spilt, and that's important. So when we take it this way, that is so important, just to remember these things that, is, that has happened. But I think communion was way more than just a metaphor. It was way more than just a metaphor that I think there is significance in that. That Jesus did that and used common foods on purpose. Another thing that I like about Passover, the Passover meal, the one that Jesus decided to do communion on, was that it was, um, uh, was a religious um, act where most religious acts were done in the temple by the priests. But Passover was done, and it was a religious act done in the comforts of your own home. Sure, Jesus, it wasn't in Jesus' home, but it was in a guy's home that they practiced and participated in Passover. So it was done in the comforts of your own home, and it was done with Jesus' disciples. The people that he spent the most time with, while well, he was here on earth. Right? These would have been his, his friends, the people that he loved, and these people would have loved him too. So communion, the first communion, the Lord's Supper, it was done with common food. It was done in the comforts of a home, and it was done with the people he loved. That sounds a lot like lunch after church, doesn't it? It's a feast that's shared with, with friends, with laughter, with tears, with prayers. And and stories. We celebrate community life that Christ has given us through the cross in his spirit. We can't celebrate it with our heads bound down and our eyes closed alone in private thoughts, even if we do surround ourselves with other people. But when we recapture the Lord's Supper, we recapture it as a feast with friends, celebrate it as a meal in the presence of his spirit. Then it becomes something that we earnestly desire, we eagerly Desire becomes a high point of life together in community with God. In the sad and broken world, the Lord's Supper is a moment of joy because it is a moment of the future. I'd like to invite the, the band up as we conclude. But what would communion look like if we took this seriously? If it was something that we didn't just do once a month in Sundays, gathered together as a church, but what if it was something that we took serious and we did it in the comforts of our own home with common foods and with with people that we love that maybe communion isn't just done over bread and with wine, maybe it can be done over chicken fingers and fries and milkshakes, right? That it's a time where we spend remembering what God has done for us and living in this thankfulness for the things that he has done. Right, that it's a time where we share stories of the way that God's kingdom is coming here and the way that he used us as instruments to bring that kingdom forward. Maybe it's a time to share prayer requests and to pray with one another, to cry with one another. What if it is just giving new purpose or repurposing our mealtime? That it happens three times a day, seven times a week. What if we could be, our hearts could be postured in the same way that we posture our hearts in communion once a month here, if that happened outside the walls of the church and that happened in our homes? It happened in our, the restaurants, in McDonald's. That that was our conversations, that that was the posture of our hearts wow, that would just give new purpose and this new life to this meal, this meal that I would be eagerly excited to have, no one that I'm not eating alone in front of a TV, but one that I'm having in community with Christ, remembering the things that God has done and the things that he will do. To me, that is, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The passage says, do this in remembrance of me. It's not just a, a think this in remembrance of me. It's a call it's an, it's a it's a call to, to action to do this in remembrance of me, to to bring this kingdom, to bring this anticipation. Right? And it's something that we do together in community. That's where we get the word communion. It's done in community. So in a second we're gonna take we're gonna take community, or we're gonna take communion together as a group, but there are times that I think I wanna see some And not that there isn't joy filled in the ways that we were doing it before, but it's a time just to remember God's body that was broken, his blood that was shed. But I also wanted to spend some time before we take communion to share with the people around you of what are you thankful, what are you most thankful for, what are you most thankful, want to give thanks to Christ for. I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it. But like, just share with one another, right? It's done in community, not just with our heads bowed down, but together. So what are you most thankful for Christ? And to share it with each other. Like, I am so thankful Jesus has done this in my life. I am so thankful that Jesus has given me these opportunities. I am so thankful that Jesus has freed me from my slavery to sin, that he's given me new life. Can we do that? And if this is something that you feel really uncomfortable with and you don't want to talk to anybody, that's okay. Not, nobody's going to force you. But let's start to practice, let's start to practice communion together as a group, sharing these things and posturing our hearts on Jesus and who he is. So I'm just going to go down, it's kind of dark over here, but we're going to take communion, so I want to invite those, oh, I should probably bring this too, Uh, those who are going to take communion, I guess I should maybe read the passage, well, I still have light up here before I go down there, so let me read the passage and after I read the passage, just start sharing with, with one another the ways that you're thankful for Jesus. And when you, yeah, and then when you feel ready, we're not gonna take communion all at once together, but when you feel ready to take communion with the people who are around you or, or by yourself, take, take communion. But let me just read the passage one more time. When the time came, Jesus, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it pieces and gave it to his disciples saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me after supper he took another cup of wine and said this cup is a new covenant between god and his people an agreement confirmed with blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you so i want to invite those who are i'm um, going to take or pass out communion yes forward and we'll do that at this time